The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Then the, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Hi, everybody. I want to begin today by thanking everyone who submitted an answer to our question of the week to help us plan for this worship and to help me prepare for this sermon. After last Sunday's focus on the biblical practice of lament as a way that we might bring our fears and puzzlement, even our frustration and anger to God by using the ancient three-part pattern of protest, petition, and praise to do so, more than 15 of you responded when we asked, how do you bring your sadness and frustration to God? And those responses were wonderful to see. Some of you are what I guess we could call Emmaus Road people, like those in our gospel story from two weeks ago, people who bring their burdens to God while on a long walk or on a hike in the woods, even on a several-mile run. Because if we know that life is a journey, or if we feel like we've lost our way, then praying on the move can open us up to both speak what's on our hearts, as well as to observe and pay attention to what our senses are perceiving from things around us. Others found that conversations with loved ones and caring friends were the best way to give voice to their pain and confusion, and through that flesh and blood closeness to others, they would simply trust God to be listening in. And being people of an incarnate God with us faith, it only makes sense that we would need human ears to become, for us, God's ears, and to expect God's answer to be spoken in a familiar human voice. Yet other people express their hurts better by writing them down, so they find the practice of journaling, or maybe writing letters to God to be the best way to express their hurts. And when you think about it, we've got a Bible that's filled with 66 books of what amount to love letters to God, all kinds of sagas and songs and stories, and yes, certainly laments. Words written on a page, whether we're reading them or writing them, have a certain permanence and power and can give God access to our hearts through our eyes as well as through our ears. 
Still others use the gifts of memory and deep tradition or the quiet of nighttime as they recite a beloved and memorized Bible passage or repeat the Lord's Prayer or just let the words flow. And the best thing about all of these responses is that they help us to remember that there is no one right way to pray, even to lament. No single formula for bringing our burdens to God, but many. And that the right way for each of us maybe most often finds us and chooses us instead of our choosing it. It's what fits us, what works for us, and most importantly, what our eagerly interested in hearing from us God already knows is the best way to connect with us. So now that you've seen or heard some of those various ways of bringing your hurts to God, maybe you'd like to try some out this week. Which brings me to today's absolutely marvelous and also mysterious Bible story about Jacob and his all-night wrestling match with God. First, though, we need a little background before we actually enter the ring for this contest. Jacob comes on the scenes of our Bible seven chapters before today's passage, back in the 25th chapter of Genesis. He comes as the second born of a set of twins to Isaac and Rebekah emerging from his mother's womb with his hand firmly grasping his brother's heel. And that introductory story tells us just about everything we need to know about Jacob. He was a grasper. And you can interpret that as you want. He was either a person who was never satisfied with the hand he'd been dealt in life, or looked at another way ever since his birth he was the kind of person who had to scrape and scheme to get things that life simply seemed to hand to others. He bought his birthright from his belly-brained brother for a bowl of porridge. He conspired with his mother to impersonate his brother in order to steal his father's blessing. He thought that he'd talked his kinsman Laban into giving him his lovely daughter Rachel as a wife only to wake up in the morning after the wedding to discover that the veiled bride beside him was her less comely sister, Leah. So nothing came easy for Jacob, and his attempts to get what he wanted only seemed to make things worse. And as chapter 32 of Genesis begins, Jacob is afraid. After many years of avoiding the brother he had repeatedly duped and wronged, messengers tell Jacob that Esau is coming to see him and that he's bringing about 400 of his closest friends along with him. So Jacob prays. Oh God, he says, you told me to go back to the land that my forebears and you would bless me. I hope that you remember that you said that because it looks to me like I'm about to get my head handed to me. Remember all that stuff about me being blessed and having more offspring than there is sand on the beach? Well, I remember that. I sure hope you do too. And then just to be sure, Jacob sent droves of animals ahead of him to Esau for peace offerings to try and persuade his brother to let bygones be bygones. 
He sent his family safely to the other side of the river. And then, all alone, he waited for Esau to arrive. And it's then that today's reading begins, and that wrestling match with God gets underway. Only to begin with, we're not told that it's God, and certainly Jacob doesn't know that either. We're simply told that a man wrestles with Jacob all night until daybreak. This assailant, we're told, strikes Jacob in the hip and dislocates it. But still Jacob fights on. Eventually, the one who attacked Jacob to begin with pleads for Jacob to let him go because the day is breaking. And it's really then that we and Jacob first begin to see just who this wrestling hulk is. The first clue comes when Jacob refuses to let go without a blessing. He knows that he's tussling with the one who has the power to make things go well for him. And the clue for us is in why God wanted this match to end before sunrise. It wasn't because God faced any danger from daylight, but because Jacob did. From as far back as Moses, everybody knew that a person could not see God's face and live. This match needed to end while it was still dark, and for Jacob's sake. So such was the standoff that God was trying to spare Jacob's life while Jacob was holding out for a blessing. And in one of the more mysterious parts of this mysterious story, it was God who first cries uncle. In the end, God gave Jacob what he wanted, a new identity, no longer number two grasping after number one, no longer the supplanter, but now Israel, one who strives with God and humans and prevails. And I got to tell you, my friends, theologically speaking, that sentence is one whale of a mouthful when it comes to describing Judaism, the faith of Israel and the heritage we share, though not always so comfortably as Christians. One who strives with God and humans and prevails. Because in that sentence is the understanding that the religious life is a wrestling match, a struggle even an argument sometimes, a quest to understand what we don't, maybe even what we can't, and to persist in asking the hard questions, and that it is in that wrestling that we find God. Knowing that instead of a God who could squash us like a bug if we annoyed him, we have a God who is willing to get down in the mud with us and fight it out. And most amazingly of all, in that struggle, we just might prevail and limp away with a powerful blessing. And that story of Jacob and God wrestling all night by the riverbank is all the law and the prophets, is all we need to know about the kind of God who would send messengers to harass lousy kings, to cry out for justice for the poor and the forgotten, and then even be willing to be born in a Bethlehem stable to live a fully human life and be obedient unto death, even death on a cross for us. 
It's all we need to know about a people who turned lament from a sure sign of unbelief into a powerful tool of an offended faith that trusts God to be better than God has recently seemed to them to be. So, three things then for our springtime journey into lament as a tool for us in our struggle with a world turned scary and hard. First, it is God who picks this holy fight. It is God who wants the wrestling match. Jacob had already prayed for what he wanted. He'd already asked God to soften Esau's heart. But God was after Jacob's heart. So when your soul is troubled, it might help if you imagine that it is God who is provoking this encounter. That God is the one who's saying, hey, is something bothering you? You want to wrestle? Because wrestling, as any lovesick teenager knows, is often just an excuse to hold another person close. Second, if you do take, up, take God up on that wrestling offer, be ready for a very incarnate struggle. With Jacob's wrestling partner called a man or an angel or God, and we're not quite sure how to tell the difference, this story has a very New Testament Jesus-y feel to it. God not only comes to us to provoke the wrestling match, but God comes disguised in some very human costumes and masks. Maybe in a pastor's sermon, but maybe just as often in a good friend's straight-spoken and honest observation. Just because it doesn't happen in church and with your hands folded doesn't mean that it isn't prayer. And then third, in this story, it's not all that clear who wins. I said earlier that in some ways it seems like Jacob does. He's the one who's said to prevail. And because he refused to let go, he gets his blessing. He gets that new and powerful name. But also as that sun rises, I also see a definite smile on the face of the one who doesn't walk away with a limp. I see God also getting what God wanted out of that all night wrestling match. Jacob lives to see another day which again was God's prime concern for ending that bout before daybreak. God also gets a new person with a new identity, one that God wanted him to have from the start. All of that striving and grasping after a birthright and an inheritance has now become striving after God, striving with God, striving to know and understand, and most importantly, to live fully engaged with God. God, in other words, gets to hold Jacob close, even after the wrestling match is over. And that's a win for God. So remember those three things, my friends. In your wrestling with God, in your lamenting, in your bringing your hurts and fears and worries to God, remember that it's God who has picked the fight. God who wants the wrestling match. Expect it also to be a very human struggle where the boundaries between heaven and earth are thin and God may be wearing some pretty clever disguises. 
And most importantly, don't worry so much about winning. Don't worry so much about getting what you want or the answers that you think you need out of the encounter. What matters to God is the closeness, the tight grip that you will have on one another as you wrestle, along with the mutual reluctance to ever let go. Because that's what wrestling is really about. And if you can derive as much joy from that as God does, then everyone's a winner. Amen. Shepherd me.